morning, church. Happy to be with you. My name is Austin. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at Branches, and I get the privilege of sharing the word with you today. Becoming a father in November has changed things forever. Changed things forever. Mostly in amazing ways, but also in funny ways that I didn't really expect, like specifically late at night. If I need to use the restroom sharing a one-bedroom with my seven-month-old, it's a little bit of a mission now. A little bit more like a secret agent when I need to go. I'm like rolling on the floor trying to adroitly exit my room. Or maybe my phone's not dimmed. Now it's morning time for my son. The light turns on and he's happy with it. Or perhaps I need to sneeze. God forbid I need to sneeze. I don't want to sneeze into my pillow. That's disgusting. So what I'll do is I'll plug my nose and kind of breathe in and send my sneeze to limbo, which I'm sure is terrible for my health, but great for my sleep. But truly, it changes the big things, too. He comes with us everywhere, so I'm far less spontaneous nowadays. Working with his schedule, I have dinner at 5.30 now, or should I say supper. I have supper now, my wife and I, with our son. And my wake-up times are uncertain. I have my alarm clock set on my watch, and then I have my spontaneous alarm clock that can happen at any time. And it sounds like a beautiful combination of a baby laughing and a pterodactyl. My son just being a baby dinosaur in his crib. Now for you all today, change isn't a distant friend. It's prevalent to us all. Ever since 2020, it seems the world is constantly, drastically changing. Ever since 2020, it seems everyone's gone electric, be it their car or they're all on e-bikes. Work life is different for many of you. Many of you might be working remotely now, working from home. You've picked up new recreational hobbies. We're just hobby. It's pickleball. We all play pickleball now. I can never get a court. Everyone plays pickleball now, and it's great. And half of your friends moved to Idaho. So it goes. A lot has changed. Now, the changes I stated, they're, they're all pretty lighthearted, but with them comes heavier matters, matters that bring about worry and anxiety with all the inconsistencies of this life. But then there's God, he who is consistent, he who does not change, he whose promises are sure. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the certainty of God's promises, how God's promises are sure. And by having faith in him, we can have hope that is secure and be greatly encouraged. And that is my prayer for you all today. As we go into the word of God, I pray that you all be encouraged. You'd feel encouraged this morning. So if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and Usher will bring one to you. The words will also be up on the screen. This is from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. Starting with verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Pray with me, church. So Lord, we are grateful to have your word. We are grateful to have the word become flesh, Jesus, to guide us, to give us inspiration. Lord, I pray that as we go into your word and the implications of it, we would go to it with open hands and open heart, ready to receive and be changed more into your likeness as a result. You're really good, God, and we love you. Amen. So it's wild having a message on certainty of promises in the midst of this culture where I feel like a lot of people are gaining trust issues. I feel like we all might have some level of trust issues nowadays. Last week, I went on a staff retreat. We went to the great expanse called Indio. And while I was gone, my wife, Kara, was watching Baby Rumi. And she did an amazing job as always. She is incredible at taking care of our son. There was a little hiccup that did happen. So night went really well. And then morning time, Rumi wakes up at 6.45. He usually wakes up at 5.45. He woke up at 6.45. It's looking like it's going to be a good day. And because he woke up a little bit later, the, the schedule, the routine was pushed a little bit. So instead of taking his nap an hour and a half later, which I envy that, I would love to take a nap an hour and a half into my day. I want to be more like Rumi every day. But instead of going right to his nap time, Kara took him for a morning walk. And what she did not realize until she was at the door was that she had placed the hide a key within our home to be extra safe since she was home alone. And she did not have her keys on her. She realized this while Rumi was losing his mind. He was screaming. And moms out there, you know how tense this can be. Perhaps many of you have been in a similar situation. What do you even do? So she calls me, and I give, me, I give her my best advice I can from three hours away. I love you. You're amazing. Call locksmith. So she calls the locksmith, and she's on the phone, and they're like, okay, we can be there in 10 minutes. And she's like, okay, how, long is it, or how much is it going to cost? And they said, uh, I don't know. We'll let you know when we're there. And she's like, how much is it going to cost? And they say, between 50 and 150. She's like, okay, sure. So She's waiting. The two gentlemen walk up, and they're like, all right, let's start working on it. They're like, this is going to be $350, okay? And she's like, what? Not okay. We can't afford that. My husband's in ministry. We can't afford that. That's not happening. And they're like, okay, 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 $250. And Kara's like, I guess. Like, Rumi's losing his mind. Like, there's nothing she can really do in this moment. And then they start working on the door, and they're like, no damage, okay? And she's like, okay. It looks like they took a gun and shot a bullet into it. It was absolutely destroyed. No damage, all damage, the most damage possible. Then finally, she gets inside. She's distressed. She calls me, and she's like, Austin, this is what they said they were going to do, and this is what happened. There were inconsistencies all around. So I call them, and, you know, I'm... I want to be a good pastor. So I did grace and truth. I was like, hey, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, like this happened. You said it was going to be one way. It was another. But, you know, maybe you didn't mean it. And I'm just talking to the receptionist, not the actual locksmith. And the person's listening. Like, okay, okay. 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 And I'm like, okay. Where's the sorry? Okay. Whatever. 
I'll call you, I'll have a manager call you in an hour. Or I didn't say that, I'll have a manager call you. I was like, okay, sounds good. I wait an hour, no call. I call again, it's a different receptionist. I give him the same lay of the land, same benefit of the doubt, but still there were some inconsistencies of what was said and what happened. And they're like, okay, okay, I'll have a manager call you. When? I don't know. Will it be within an hour? Yes. Branches Church, was it within an hour? Did it ever happen? No, it never happened. Inconsistencies everywhere. And this is just a story amongst many that may cause us to have some level of trust issues. People may even approach this section in the book of Hebrews with some issues with trust, seeing the certainty of God's promise. I don't feel good about promises. Where God promises me this, yeah, but what's the catch? What are going to be the slight modifications along the way? Similar to my wife's experience, she heard it was going to be one way, yet when rubber hit the road, I actually actually going to be this way. Maybe we see it as God's on the line with us, and he's like, hey, I'll, I'll let you know later with no intent of holding to his promise, but that's not the nature of God at all. God, what God says, God keeps. He keeps integrity to his word. With his promise to Abraham, he underscores his promise with an oath, even though by nature God cannot lie, showing just how much integrity he keeps, showing just how trustworthy he is, revealing he will go above and beyond to reveal his faithfulness to us. Last week, Andrew made the call on us as a church to be motivated with our faith, to grow with our faith, moving from spiritual infants to spiritual adults, not being lazy, but imitating those who through faith and through patience inherit what has been promised. Now, our text today, it continues that line of thought, going on to discuss what has been promised. God's promise to Abraham, the solidity of God's promises, and the hope and encouragement as a result of having our hope rightly placed. Now, before we dive into the implications of today's text, let's look back to the beginning of the line of thought that this text continues into. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 writes, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So for our text today, the notion of promise links to that verse 12, where the believers are encouraged to inherit the promises through faith and through patience. So going into today's text, the author has the reader reflect on God's faithfulness through the story of Abraham. To begin with, who is Abraham? Why is he significant? And what can we learn about the certainty of God's promises in his story? A little context, formerly he was named Abram before he encountered God and God renamed him. And with the renaming came the reassignment. And God tends to do that. We see that with Simon become Peter, Saul become Paul, Abram become Abraham. And for us who are in Christ, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. With renaming comes the reassignment. Abram to Abraham. Abram in Hebrew meant exalted father. Abraham now means father of many. He and his wife, Sarah, they have entered their elderly years. They are beyond the age of conceiving, or so they thought. Abraham was 99, Sarah 89. 
Genesis 17, one through four. And God tells Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. See, Abraham, he's dumbfounded and God, he has a sense of humor telling Abraham, this indeed will happen and you're gonna name him Isaac, which means he laughs. So, Abraham had to walk out this mission with faith and with patience. As we see in Hebrews 6.12, imitate those who through faith and through patience inherit what has been promised. So by faith, Sarah and Abraham, they have to get to work. They had probably not known each other in that way for some time. He was nearly 100 years old. That required some faith. An even more notable act of faith occurred after the fulfillment of the promise of children. They had their son, Isaac. God said to Abraham in 22:2 Genesis, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Huh? Next verse. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, if you are new to the faith, this sounds outrageous. If you've been in the faith, this still sounds pretty outrageous. But notice what we see in verse 5. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice this level of faith. Abraham, he is going to have faith in God by abiding what he has called him into going up that mountain. While also having faith that God will still make him the father of many nations. Abraham is thinking, God's going to act one way or another, and God does. Before Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven, Abraham, stop. And Abraham looks over, and he sees a ram caught in the thicket and sacrifices the ram in his son's place as a burnt offering. And Isaac is wiping the sweat from his brow like, is this fire hot or what? Am I right, Dad? It's a really warm fire. We see the fruit of Abraham's faith in God in Genesis 22, verses 16 to 18. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And we see the promise unfold into exactly that, generations after generations, leading to King David, leading to King Jesus. We see how God's promises are sure and that by having faith in him, we can have hope that is secure and be greatly encouraged. Even though the promises of God might take a while to be fulfilled, Hebrews 6, 15, and after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Abraham received the land, 
the offspring, the blessing, but it took a while, years and years passed before even just one aspect of the promise was fulfilled. Abraham, he endured in his faith as the many years passed, all the high highs, all the low lows. He persevered in believing in Yahweh. And you see, that's where faith comes in. Patience is needed, yes, but by nature, faith takes patience. Seeing things instantly doesn't require faith of us. By nature, faith is the long game, and our patience is formed through our faith. What some of you may know about me, if we were friends or if we talked or if you've just heard me preach because I probably talk about it all the time, but I like surfing and skating. I'm a surfer and a skater. Something you might not know is I'm also someone who likes to go to the gym. I don't look like it at all, but I'm kind of a gym guy nowadays. I like to go a little bit in between. If there's no waves, I'll go to the gym. I don't look like Pastor Brock, but give me a, give me a break. Give me some years. I'll get there one day. But you see, with the, with the gym folk, there's this joke, and I'm in on the joke. It's us. We have this joke about leg day. People skipping leg day. They, they don't like leg day. I joke about it with them. But personally, I don't mind it because I was a cyclist for eight years, so I like leg day. That's fine. But for me, it's abs. Anything with abs, I detest. It's horrible. Get me far, far away from it, especially planks. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Like, I go down for 45 seconds, try to do a plank. I look like I'm suffering from frostbite in Antarctica. Like, I'm shaking so much. People looking at me like, get this guy a doctor. Like, get him out of 24-hour fitness. Like, this is freaking out the other people. But here's the thing with planks. They require time for them to work. You can't just do it for three seconds and expect results. It requires time to work. Not that I would know. Hypothetically, they require time to work. Ask someone who does them. Else they don't do anything for you. And same goes with our faith. We need to be firm on our purpose. We need to be patient with our faith. Have our faith be drawn out. And by doing so, we will be spiritually fit like Father Abraham. By having faith, we will see the promises of God be fulfilled. Seeing things instantly does not require faith. By its very nature, faith is the long game, and our patience is formed through our faith. So now in our text today, we see God going above and beyond in his faithfulness. He made a promise to Abraham, and then he swore an oath on himself. There is no one greater that he could have sworn the oath on for God. He defines perfection. No being is greater than he, so God's saying, this is on me. We see God, he made a promise and an oath, even though he's unable to lie. And why? Verse 17, this was to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. So this shows the solidity of the promises of God. But you may ask, okay, what promises? What are the promises? I hear God's promises all the time. What are they? People talk often of them, and we see them play out for Abraham, but what does it mean for us today. Well, apparently, the promises made by God to Abraham belongs to us who are in Christ Jesus. Abraham's offspring, that which we are grafted into through faith in Jesus, we are brought into the family of God. Therefore, we too are promised this. Found in Hebrews chapter 2, we have God who helps us instead of the angels. God is seeking to meet us in our aid. God helps us. He meets us in the ordinary and desires communion and to aid us through all things. 
Hebrews chapter 6, we see we are blessed by being his descendants. God looks fondly upon us and desires to bless us. Hebrews chapter 4, we will enjoy the heavenly rest through practicing Sabbath on this side of eternity and enjoying eternal rest forevermore in the kingdom, that which we are promised in Hebrews 11. We are promised the city to come. And we can have full assurance of these promises. We can have full assurance of these promises because of the Holy Spirit within us as believers. Ephesians 1.13, the Apostle Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, within the context that Paul is writing, in the first century, when a king would write a letter to signify that it was from him, he'd use a wax seal. It's be his way of saying, this is from me. This is from the king. And in a similar way, we have the Holy Spirit as a seal on us, signifying we are of the kings. King Jesus, we are his. And with that, we can rest assured that God's promises are for us indeed. Continuing on in the text, we find the main point of today's passage in verse 18. Verse 18, the author writes, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. He wants the readers to be greatly encouraged. He's telling this church, be encouraged that you will seize the hope set before you. You will not miss out on the promise pledged to you. Be greatly encouraged of what is to come, what has been promised. So take hold of hope. The author writes, we who have fled, or in another translation, we who have fled for refuge. And why do you flee for a refuge? Well, the author may have in mind the cities of refuge. According to the law of Moses in the book of Numbers, Numbers 35, the cities of refuge, they were within easy reach of a person in need, as is Jesus for us, as he came as Emmanuel, God with us. He's within easy reach for us. The cities of refuge are open to all, as is Jesus, not just the Jew, but the Gentile alike, open to all who would receive him. Cities of refuge are the only alternative for the person fleeing, bless you, as it is for Jesus being our only way to the Father. You see, the cities of refuge and Jesus, they're very similar. However, there's a big distinction between the two. The cities of refuge only help the innocent, whereas the guilty get to come to Jesus and find refuge. With that, good news for us. So take hope in Christ. The result of having hope in God is being greatly encouraged. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And what does an anchor for the soul mean? It means nothing can dislodge or dismantle our hope because it's in an unshakable reality. Its solidity and stability are rooted in God's oath and promise. My friend Briley put it in a cool way. He said that if a captain were to leave their anchor above water in an emergency situation, it'd be worthless, yes? It'd be doing nothing for you. However, with the anchor properly used, used in the water, it's operating within its design function. You'll see its intended results. And same goes with our hope. If it's based on things of this world above the water, it's not going to be of much worth as the ways of this world are temperamental. 
They're fleeting. They're conditional. However, if our hope is based in the spiritual, the unseen, and the water, having our anchor in God, we will have faith and hope in that which is firm and secure. And you see, there are obvious benefits of having hope in something that is firm and secure, yet our human tendency will be to still go elsewhere, still go to the ways of this world. So to further make the importance of our reason for hope clear, I have an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He writes, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. So walking out our hope that we have in Christ, it's not just beneficial, it's essential for us as followers of Jesus. When our hope is set on heaven, we're gonna live to bring heaven down. When our hope is set on heaven, we're not gonna be so easily shaken when our world doesn't look like heaven, but rather, we're gonna continue to work toward on earth as it is in heaven, praying that Jesus would bring his kingdom forth. Going back to last week's text in Hebrews 6, 11, the author writes, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Or in another translation, make your hope sure. So walking out our hope, it actually, it forms us. Walking out our hope in Christ brings assuredness to that which we hope in. And we get this hope all because of verses 19 through 20. This hope enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And you see, I'm very encouraged by this verse because when I finally sold my 1986 Volvo, I bought a Subaru Forester when I really wanted a forerunner. But Jesus is my forerunner, so it's all good. See, ladies and gentlemen, dad jokes are not good jokes. They're just dad jokes. So now that I got that atrocity out of the way, let me break down what we're talking about. Back to God's word, enough of the dad jokes. The audience of Hebrews' hope is sure and stable as it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The inner sanctuary in the temple being the holiest of holies, being the presence of God. And the hope of the believers, it's like an anchor that reaches within the veil and brings believers into contact with the almighty God. This is huge for humanity, for within the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, access to God was limited to one time a year with just the high priest. So now, as Hebrews 10, 19 states, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have access to the most high God today. For us as Christians, this is common knowledge, but for the original audience, this is groundbreaking. I say, let's make it groundbreaking for us once again. Let's fully grasp the reality that we have access to the almighty God, God who merely spoke and the universe became. By his exhale came the world as we know it. Who here has been to Yosemite? Been to and enjoyed Yosemite? That sight should lead you into awe that we have access to this God. Who here has been to the Grand Canyon? That as well. 
God is so good. He is so creative. He is so beautiful. A little bit more accessible, a little bit closer to home. Who here has seen a, just a gorgeous sunset over the ocean, multicolor across the sky? God is so cool. He is so cool. And we get access to this God, this creator and author of everything we see and how? Because Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And it feels funny saying all that and then being Melchizedek. And people be like, who's Melchizedek? Let's talk a little bit about it. Why is he significant? What does it mean for him to be in the Melchizedekian priesthood? Well, as we explore the Old Testament, we discover Melchizedek is the first person to be given the title Cohen or priest. It is he who Abraham is blessed by in Genesis 14 and who Abraham blesses in return with a tithe, with a tenth of all that he has. You see, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of this high priestly role, becoming our high priest forever. So then the hope now for believers depends now on the atoning work of the cross. We don't need to look inward at our own goodness, at our own holiness, but now we look to the cross to find our hope. So for us today, we must understand the hope that we have in Jesus and allow it to form us. For whatever our hope is in, it will form us for better or for worse. So Branches Church, where is your hope being placed today? Is it firm and secure? When changes come, and they will come, will you be okay Baseline, will you be okay if life flips you on the head? Like I said at the beginning of this message, the ramifications of 2020 changed a lot. Best case scenario, it helps you reallocate where your hope was placed and you're able to put it in Jesus because everything else proved faulty. Worst case scenario, you found yourself hopeless. Today, where is your hope being placed? And are you greatly encouraged by what your hope is in? Have you allowed your hope in Jesus to be fully realized so that you may be greatly encouraged? Has your hope in God bore fruit to peace, joy, contentment? If not, decide today to lean on the hope we have in Christ, to soak in the hope of Christ. Soak in the hope like a proper steak and marinade. I have a really good marinade I like. Well, a little recipe for you all. Soy sauce, lemon juice, olive oil, garlic, salt and pepper. Super simple, super incredible what it does. Take my word for it or don't. But I want to soak in the hope of Jesus like my steak soaks in marinade. Simple gospel, simple marinade, forever changed as a result. I want to soak in it. I want it to change me. I want it to change the way I see things, the way I engage with others the hope of Jesus is to change everything about us. Is it? Wrapping things up, God promises eschatological blessings for those who belong to him. Eschatological meaning after we pass, after our days on earth, leading to the new earth. God promises us blessings, but we need to be patient, like what we see in the example of Abraham and his life to obtain the blessing. We need to allow our faith to stretch us our faith needs to stretch us, growing us in patience. And in the meantime, we need encouragement. And that encouragement comes from hope in Christ, having our hope firmly secure in him. When all things in life are conditional, 
temperamental and fleeting. Hope in Christ is firm and secure. And by dwelling on this hope, we may be greatly encouraged and formed as a result. We are formed as we dwell on the hope of the gospel, the results of the cross, Jesus doing that which we could have never done on our own, giving us grace undeserved, that we may know him, and by knowing him, we may know life, leading to the kingdom of God where we are with him forevermore. Hallelujah, Jesus. Say it with me, church. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God that we may know that his promises are certain. God cannot lie. His promises are sure. He is for us today. May we live from this hope. May we live from, may we live for the gospel. Will you stand with me, church, as we pray and go into this time of response? King Jesus, may our hope be rightly placed. May our hope be set in you. And may that change the way we see things. May that change the way we worship. Jesus, in this moment, by you, Holy Spirit, may you just bubble up the hope within us and compel us into a deeper posture of awe and adoration to your holy name. May we see you rightly. May we see you as the king who has redeemed us. And may our only response be to sing your praise. And maybe we're not there. May we lean in more so we may get there. May we lift up our hands and ask that our heart would catch up to what our body's doing. May we extend our arms out to you, Lord Jesus, as you've extended your arms out to us. Your arms have never ceased to be spread wide since you were on that cross, Lord God. They are spread wide for us. We have grace undeserved. May we be led into a deeper heart of worship. Hallowed be your name, God.